Hi everyone, welcome back to Highly Inspired. I'm Ella. And I'm Jordan. Hey guys, welcome back. We're back in Phoenix. We're going to be here for probably a while now. Yep, it's it's our home. So we are done kind of globe trotting for a little bit. We were in different places this summer and then the last episode we did out in Newport, mm-hmm. which was different, um, but we're back in our homeostasis, I yes. think. So yes. it's good for being able to have those like comfortable discussions mm-hmm. and um, we're trying to crank out more episodes for you guys. So yeah. So stay tuned. <laughs> yeah. Um, so this episode, Jordan and I have been wanting to do this one for a while now, probably since like January. So we're really excited. We're able to do it. It kind of kept getting pushed on the back burner, but basically like I think the inspiration for this episode came from us being like really frustrated a with like the education system and even like the education style that we kind of were given um of kind of like memorizing and not like being taught to like question or like critically think or like synthesize ideas and and come to our own conclusions um and kind of seeing how that's resulted in the world being filled with professionals in different industries and they just are repeating what they're hearing from like the quote-unquote experts and not really sharing their own like investigations or own conclusions Mm -hmm. um and so that's kind of like at a very high level what I think inspired this episode and like the sense of urgency to do it now. Yeah. When we first thought of the concept of sort of breaking down what the difference between regurgitating information versus synthesizing knowledge, um, we wrote it down and I think we thought, oh, this, that could be enough to talk about in a whole episode. And then we kind of always had on the back burner. But um, when we finally got to really getting in this mindset and and writing out some notes like we have here, we oh my gosh I have realized this is like one of the most all-inclusive topics that we've ever discussed on this show and it really does correlate to everything not only in recent history but what's happening right now Mm -hmm. and will continue to happen so um yeah it's it's super vital and I think there's a lot of philosophy and sort of breaking down of like verbiage and like understanding the meanings of these words I think that a lot of what we are used to doing with just our normal vocabulary is we just say things and we just regurgitate these words and we're so used (laughs) to even just saying words that we don't even really take a step back to understand what we're saying sometimes. So, um, yeah. And it it goes from like just our daily words, like we have a few different examples, but it, and then it goes, it, it transpires into like even ideas and even mm -hmm. how you go about your like career. Like for example, journalists are supposed to be the the, the people, the industry that question everything, that come to their own conclusions, they're doing their own research, yeah. they're asking questions, they're changing their um, articles as new information comes out. They're not afraid to say if they made a mistake. And that's the opposite right now. Our journal, our mainstream journalists are propaganda machines. They repeat things that the experts say. Yeah. They don't bring their own There are so many research. standards that they have to, yeah. to fit into or else they're not going to get published or they're going to get fired from the New York Times or they're going to get canceled from the, the journalism world. Mm-hmm. And it's sad because standards can only help in so many ways. Um, actually, I think it's it's admirable to have people who are willing to break certain standards if it's needed Yeah. to, to pursue yeah. truth and mm-hmm. explain truth and to, I mean, awaken. I mean, that's what journalism yeah. is supposed to do. I think it's supposed to introduce new ideas in a way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, like as Tim Dillon said, there's literally only like five journalists left in the world. One of them <laughs> being Glenn Greenwald who lives like in Brazil because it's, it's, 
like kind of too risky for him to even live in the U.S. at this point. Mm-hmm. And it's people that like him and, um, you know, some other journalists that like look at stories like the Epstein stuff or whatever that mainstream people will only crack like the surface of it and they won't get mm-hmm. to like the real root of what's Would going on. Would you say on. the real ones who are left are, are freelance journalists too? Yeah. Or are they under companies? No, I would say they're freelance. Some of them have ha- worked at bigger media houses like before um to get like the original like investigating journalist j- journalism experience but now they're all like either on Substack or yeah. like their own website or whatever well, that makes sense because i they probably had tried those routes of of working for companies mm-hmm. and then because they didn't fit their mold are now having yeah. to be decentralized and and freelance in order to publish their stuff yeah and i feel like another industry where people are regurgitating and not synthesizing and like coming up to their with their own like conclusions and going through like the scientific method and that sort of thing is like the science community and medical field as well especially mm-hmm. with this whole covid thing like we've seen um people like dr fauci who has been working in government for decades and um he hasn't even been like in the field or been seeing like real patients yet he's the one doctor that we're supposed to go to to know everything about covid or just diseases in general and like that's not how science is supposed to work like um brett and heather weinstein were just on rogan and they were explaining that the whole point of science is for your um your work to get falsified by other scientists and that's like the goal in order to like get at the truth of it and you've said this mm-hmm. like science isn't dogmatic it's ever-changing no there's you know? only like very few aspects of science which you could argue like math is an objective aspect of science that falls under that bracket but I mean science is ever-changing mm-hmm. I mean our universe is always growing I mean the earth is only going to continue aging so yeah. Yeah, it's it's not so set in stone, especially with health as we evolved and as we evolve and have new things that we face like biologically and everybody having different DNA. I mean, it's hard to group all of us under one cloud of of treatment, under one cloud of of strategy. So Yeah, and part of like good medicine is individualized care and like that's something that we've seen slowly been lost in the medical industry in America. Because it, it's, it takes up more time. Yeah. Treating everybody individually sucks up more time, sucks up more mon- money, is honestly requires more brain power and more, more different thinking. routes, yeah. more critical thinking, exactly. So in a way, regurgitating and grouping everybody's issues together saves money and time. Yeah. So for like we always talk about on the show that the medical field is a business, mm-hmm. well, a compilation of a bunch of businesses, mm-hmm. But um, their goal is to make money or else they collapse and they can't um, pay for the manufacturing of drugs and they can't distribute them to us they and can't, they can't, they can't make pay money. their doctors. <laughs> they can't help these doctors pay off their student loans yeah. for their eight years of medical school yeah. or whatever it was. So, yeah, it's a whole ecosystem mm-hmm. of, of mm-hmm. many businesses. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then the last one that I wanted to highlight was like the teachers. And I think that also shows like the next this new generation of teachers that we have, and it's been happening like this slowly, I think since the sixties, but now it's very apparent Mm -hmm. is that these teachers, they haven't been, they've been taught how to educate, but they haven't been taught the information that they're teaching. If that makes sense. Like they've Mm -hmm. been taught how to teach, which is really just, you know, how to like 
be an authoritarian essentially and like manage a classroom and distribute information. Or you just have a really tests. great memory and you can do a lecture and it's solely based off memory and you don't even know what you're yeah, saying. You don't know what you're saying. You're not, um, it's not like you've studied um, classical history, world history for 10 years and you know all about ancient civilizations and you're able to come from that level of like no. expertise and that used to like at least you used to get that in college but now we're like not even getting that in college so it's slowly that level of like expertise has left the classroom k through eighth k or eighth through high school and now it's not even in a lot of colleges anymore so you're mm. seeing like the ripple effect of our generation and the millennials and stuff we've been we haven't been properly educated to think for ourselves to like research information and you have that us being super vulnerable to propaganda and then you have propaganda being so prevalent like on social media mm -hmm. in, in our news that we don't know how to synthesize our own ideas like we don't mm -hmm. have that skill set and we're floundering and even smart people that i know are confused and they think that things like ivermectin is a dewormer like it, it's it's stuff like that you know <laughs> <laughs> yes yes well i think that the um the notion of i mean i would love to talk about more about the whole k through eight yeah. situation i was trying to look up what time of like american history did the education system switch to individual teachers mm. to one teacher per class okay. i couldn't find anything okay. but i would assume at some point there was a time where we had specific teachers for specific subjects even in those early grades mm -hmm. because wouldn't that maybe solve the problem a little bit more yeah so that you have maybe more expert teachers mm -hmm. only teaching what they're passionate mm -hmm. about what they know inside and out as opposed to say one fourth grade teacher who is teaching all these subjects mm -hmm. and she's preparing these lessons that are just from this textbook that mm -hmm. she has to follow and then when she's giving a lecture mm -hmm. it's just straight off of memory and he or she, but yeah. Or I, a reference I, point to a pre-made. I think that if I had to guess, it's a combination of two things. One, Common Core becoming mainstream. I don't know if you know what Common Core is. What is that? So it's basically like a, it's a, it's a nationalized version of like what education should contain. And even like some private schools follow it. Like I remember St. Thomas, the school that I went to, like we switched over to Common Core, like when I was in oh, middle okay. school. Um, so it's like a whole curriculum. Yeah. I mean, I can, let me look up, um, I can look up the exact definition of it, but Okay, so Common Core is a set of high-quality academic standards in mathematics and English language. Um, it is informed by the highest, most effective standards from the state across the United States and around and countries around the world. Um, so, basically, like it draws teachers away from the good stuff um, and learning material that's like intrinsically interesting and worthwhile that can like impact people's minds, mm -hmm. and it's a very standardized way of like checking are people meeting certain requirements and going along this like system so it's it's a very like nationalized protocol for regulating what children <laughs> you can just see education. my face right there right away <laughs> so i think that if i had to guess i don't know exactly when that came in to effect i didn't uh fully like divulge into this oh it says around 2000 yeah 2010 mm -hmm. so it was like halfway through our education that this kind of went into effect okay. so i'd say that number one sounds and then, very robotic and then number two i think that because like a lot of schools 
require teachers to now have like a master's specifically in education. Again, that's teaching people to be educators. It's not teaching them to be experts in a specific area. Whereas if you required everyone to have a master's in like um, world history, ancient civilizations, um, philosophy, um, uh, something scientific, you know, I think that you would have teachers that were more equipped that were like, oh, I studied evolutionary biology and I teach biology now or I studied physics and you know I think that because it's yeah I would say that's part of it too is that we just there's less people that are fully ingrained in that field I would love to have say a high school educator who has gotten that master's in education degree come on the podcast to ask about that experience and like what do they emphasize do Mm -hmm. they depending on what year or what semester in college, what is like, do they go subject by subject or is it more just overall, this is how you handle young people or this is how you phrase this a certain yeah, way. No is idea. it way more about the language or is it mm-hmm. more about becoming an expert? Cause there, I, I believe in generalism and I think that you can expand your brain and become mm-hmm. very skillful mm-hmm. and knowledgeable at a lot of different subjects at one time. But if you're going to be a paid educator, supposedly teaching, say, college students to become near experts at something, which is why they're pursuing a degree, how can you be that knowledgeable in so many different subjects? I mean, college might be different. I don't know. I'd have to you'd have to look at all the colleges is not as regulated by the government. So I don't I think colleges you are going to get people that are more of an expert in that field teaching you, but that's kind of yeah. like a whole nother issue with different departments becoming more um, like kind of pushing out those professors and highlighting majors that are more like gender studies or things mm-hmm. that aren't as like concrete. But well, going let's back take to, college out of the picture yeah, then like and, going, and only analyze like high school yeah, and lower. Like, yeah, K, to, K through eighth or sorry, K through 12th. Because like my experience or education and I went to, I was fortunate enough to go to a private Catholic school, um, K through eighth. And then I went to a private all girls Catholic school for high school. And I felt like I had very few classes and very few teachers that taught me how to critically think and how to like analyze things. Um, Mm -hmm. I don't know what your experience was. I know we both went to Xavier and it was a lot of memorization. It was a lot of high school was busy work for us a lot of busy work. And honestly, that was how I got really good at sort of, um, I mean, I'm, I can admit it, like figuring out how to dupe the system. Like if I got (laughs) certain systems (laughs) down that I could maybe like cheat a little bit or like cut a few corners, like I was willing to do that because I felt like certain things were so much of busy work that I didn't see the ultra benefit of Mm -hmm. why I was doing it. I think in my in my younger grades, though, I'm, I also went to a private school as well, although it wasn't Catholic. I did have a few classes that really did force me to have to try to think. That's good, yeah. Um, I felt like our testing curriculum at in my middle school was very hard. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, like, extracurriculars. I mean, I, I always was a sports kid. I, I was in band. Like, mm-hmm. I was also in a lot of extracurriculars that I do feel like Force me to sort of try to be a little bit different or think a little mm-hmm. bit differently, but I, I would love to sort of be able to compare that to public school, although I didn't really have that experience. Mm-hmm. So if that's really if the core curriculum that you were just saying is more the public school focus, then yeah, that, I think that that would be totally different. Yeah, I think it's 
I think it's probably more mandated in public schools, but I know that some private schools have like adopted their own version of it and we adopted it. I remember like, I think so 2010, I, I, I feel like I remember it around fifth grade ish it coming out. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, my favorite classes honestly were like my theology or my um, like philosophy based classes because I felt like the teachers that I had for that and then the teacher that I had in high school, um, that those were the classes where if you had a good teacher, they would bring up like a controversial topic like abortion or um, euthanasia or um, I don't know what else is controversial at this point, but like those types of topics. <laughs> Everything. <laughs> yeah, a lot of things. And we would have like debates and you would like people would present different sides of the argument. And I love that. We were allowed to like question things, even though it was a Catholic school. And like, obviously, like a Catholic institution is going to have a position on something like abortion. Um, the teachers that gave the students the freedom to debate those topics out and like analyze every side of the argument. Mm-hmm. Those are the classes I like the best because even if you do have a position, like having someone challenge you is just going to make your research stronger, um, make you think harder and all Agreed. this stuff. Um, but I did feel like even at St. Thomas, which was like my grade school, I do think that I had some, like I had a really good um, history teacher during eighth grade, but like besides that, it was very um, teaching you to be a rule follower. We had to go to lunch, even in eighth grade, in two solid, in two lines, one and both alphabetical. Mm, That's interesting. One was for hot, one was for if you brought your lunch, like one was for if you were eating lunch there and you had to go in order by last name you could not speak in order you could not this is even in eighth grade like we were treated like kindergartners we could not speak in the line on the way to lunch we couldn't speak really even like in the line that was the cafeteria like trying to get there and i kid you not if someone spoke or was giggling we would walk what? all the way back to the classroom and then do it again and get yelled at and like they would come out with like a ruler and like measure you You never told me this before no it was like crazy and I feel like that made me want to kind of be a little bit more like rebellious in my head and I never was like the kid that would get called into the office or anything Mm. but in my head I just kind of was like I don't like this like this makes me uncomfortable like this is stupid like this is a stupid rule this rule doesn't make sense and I think that me questioning that at a young age has like helped with some of this like COVID stuff the skepticism started young yeah because like when I'm in situations where like the rules don't make sense to me I think that's like what I love that you thought that Yeah. yeah and you're obviously not making that up now I mean when you're going through that and you're trying to think wait why are we doing this? Like what was in, say, put yourself in the teacher's shoes or in the administration's shoes. What was the benefit for them, the teachers, having you guys be in that line? Was it just easier to control? Or, I think easier I to don't control, understand. but like discipline, like trying to teach discipline. Like the school was very into discipline from an early age. And I understand. Which like, I respect. Like but little kids. Certain aspects of discipline you can yeah. teach in certain aspects of life. But something like that. When else as an adult are you going to need to be in a single file line that restricted? That doesn't, that's not laying the foundation stones of discipline that's going to follow through in any other aspect of your adult life. I agree. And I think that what was interesting too is like the whole point of receiving um, an education and becoming like a fully formed human, like is also to, I think, 
educate like your spiritual side and your conscience and like your ethics and morality and it's like here we are i would argue ethics and morality are the most important here we are at a catholic school which is supposed to be informing our conscience so that we're able to go into the world and assess what the the differences between right and wrong evil and good mm-hmm. and make those calls when when there's no one above us telling us what to do like there's no like a parent or teacher well, that's what adults are yeah you like, have to be the one yeah you have who to, can decipher exactly. between what, what's right and wrong and if that's the goal yeah how is walking in a single file line exactly what is that <laughs> what is that teaching you at a young age that's going to follow through in your adult life like what is that unfortunately what it teaches is the repeating of things it teaches you to be a follower not a leader it teaches you to fall into this covid trap that we're in it's like a weird way of conditioning you to be okay with authoritarianism something that's repetitive it gets so yeah you get so used to it that you're just like this is just how it is Mm -hmm. i mean that i guess maybe that pattern is pretty indicative in a lot of ways that we're seeing now it reminds me of okay so i just took my real estate test yesterday um in phoenix and there's no i did pass thankfully (laughs) there's no there's no mask mandate here it's actually like illegal i think to have like a mask mandate in arizona well i think it's up to the business to decide but um, the, the like government agency that I went to like take this test or it was like a third party group, um, on their website, like they have national locations all over. You could like check and look up the address and see if you had to wear a mask or not at that location. And mine said, no. So I didn't bring okay. a mask. I show up, everyone's wearing masks and the sign on it says masks. Uh oh. And my car wasn't here yet. So my mom had to drop me off like a kindergartner to take the <laughs> test because I didn't have my car yet. Mommy, and keep the car running. So I have, I have zero car. I get dropped off and this woman comes out and she's like, she brings me in and she goes, do you have a mask? And I go, no, your website said you don't need masks. And I'm like going down, like they have to take my picture. And she goes, well, you need a mask. And I was like, well, okay, do you have one? Do you have one? And she yeah. goes, no. And I go, well, my mom just left and I'm in the middle of nowhere and I don't have a mask. So this guy who's also taking the test, bring, he's like, oh, I have an extra one. He brings out like a dirty mask. Hell no. <laughs> I have to put it on. That's disgusting. And then I go in and then they, they make me take my photo again. And I take my mask down and like take the photo. And she's like, you stop looking traumatized. Like you're fine like smile and I was like no I'm not fine but like okay I'm I put pissed the- I'm wearing some random person's <laughs> dirty mask <laughs> I put the dirty mask back on and this like security monitor guy comes in and he's like okay so these are the rules he's like you're gonna put your stuff in your locker and he's watching me it was like I was in jail he goes and every time you pass by this hand sanitizer station which was like this like moldy looking really used Ugh. It was like, I don't want to use a hand sanitizer that has been touched by everyone. And he's like, every time you walk past it, you have to use a hand sanitizer. So I had to use it like, so I went to the bathroom, had to use it before the bathroom, went to the bathroom, washed my hands. He's like, you need to use it again. And I'm like, really? He's that like, so every, unnecessary. Time, every time you pass, you have to use it. So then he takes me to my seat and I go, I was joking with him. I was like, this is kind of intense. And he goes, it's not, it's only intense if you make it intense. Sorry, this is a rant, but it's getting to a point. So then I'm like in front of my computer and I'm sitting down and he's like, I'll be watching you the entire time. And if you take your mask off, that's one warning. And if you take it off again, I will confiscate your test. 
and you have to go home. So I have to wear the dirty mask for like four hours while I'm taking this test. And he's watching everyone like a hawk take the test. Dude, I'm and so then sorry. I leave. I'm so sorry. <laughs> and then I leave and the woman gives me my results and she's like, I looked, I go to look at them and she's like, no, you have to look at them outside. And I go, well, can I wait in here while my mom picks me up? She goes, What's no, you have to them. Like you have to go outside and wait for your mom. So it's a hundred and like 10 degrees outside. <laughs> and I wait outside for like 20 minutes for my mom to pick yeah. me up. But my point is, is like, that was like the adult version of us walking. Of just completely unnecessary <laughs> requirements that make no sense. It made no sense. Like, and it was crazy. Can we also talk about how the hand sanitizer excess? Okay, I don't know all the science behind this, but I know that we have some good bacteria on our hands, as we do on a lot of other parts of our body. Yeah. It's same with our gut. Like, we have good bacteria, we have bad bacteria. Antibiotics, which we know when you take an antibiotic, it kills all of the bacteria, mm -hmm. the good too. Mm -hmm hand sanitizer does the, the same thing we have good bacteria that gets killed mm -hmm. and so when we're repeating this usage of hand sanitizer every second like that guy was making you do six times which is so like, unnecessary and completely bonkers that is i want i want us to try to get away a little bit from like all the hand sanitizer stuff because there's got to be some sort of real ramification at some point from it and it's also just chemicals. and it's not just your hands that are touching air particles, which yeah. COVID's a, supposedly an airborne virus, right? Your whole body would walk through a cloud of COVID particles. Yeah. It's not just your hands. Your hair, it could be all over your hair. Like it's it's well, more. But this is a perfect but example. This is, yes. Because, okay, if I'm thinking, if I'm a, these are like government employees, which I'm not speaking anything badly about government employees, but these are just people that like their mindset was, and I get it, like their job's tough and it's annoying and it's like t it's like working for tsa like i sympathize i am so empathetic for these pe for these people and if i was in that job i see how it's easy to fall into that and just like fall orders and especially if you have to provide for a family and you have no other choice yeah i i, I understand like he he isn't at the top making this these decisions he's just the enforcer but at the end of the day if enough people enforce the rules that's how we get do bad you, societies. Do you, you think know? this person who was telling you all of these little intricacies of you have to open your results outside, mm. you have to get this hand sanitizer before and after, like, do you really think that there was a meeting, like a board meeting of all these government officials in these types of locations being instructed so detailed that that was how that's, it is? Like, do you, it, like, do you think they had a pulled up map of the indoor like f layout of yes. the building saying, okay, we're going to place the hand sanitizer thing here. And every time you pass it here, you have to do it. Like, did it get to that level of I detail? Don't, do I you don't think? know, but it felt like it because it was so, it was like, I've never been to prison, but if I had, if I was in prison, that's how I would imagine it to be in terms of like how structured and intense and unnecessary, like, unnecessary, like fall. Well, I guess if you're in prison for like, killing someone that makes sense like why it should be that structured but like i wasn't i didn't murder. as it should be but i didn't murder anyone i was just trying to take my real estate test and i felt like very sorry this is sounds so drama well, it's but honestly it, just like really it's rude it's yes it's dehumanizing because yeah anyone who's indoors in arizona anyone who lives in arizona understands it's really hot in the summer it's so uncomfortably hot right now 
for you to just for the lady to just be like you can't stay inside you have to go outside like are we are we giving up everything that's like sacred like we're we're not like loving our our neighbors the way we should there's no community sense it's just like I don't care. You're a number. You just passed this test. You're in our digital system. Who cares? See ya. Exactly. And there's no, oh, wait, it's so outside. How about just stay inside for a few more minutes. Enjoy the AC. You can hang out with me. And then when your mom gets here, you can leave. Like, that's how it should be. Exactly. And yeah, you're right. And that goes, the point of the story, again, is because it's a perfect example of if you just, like, blindly follow orders and don't take a minute to, like, be human and, like, yeah, be, put that analysis on and be like, yeah, oh, put yourself in that person's shoes. Empathize with them. Okay, they just passed their test or they just took the test. They really want to see their results. They want to do it in the AC where it's comfortable and the light isn't UV 100 facing mm-hmm. down on them. Just like for a second, humanize. I think that that yeah. is critical. Humanize and then critically think. I mean, if we're really trying to, pre- if the goal of that office was to prevent COVID from spreading, me putting on a sweaty, dirty mask, me touching a, a not a clean hand sanitizing station where everyone was touching it every five seconds, mm-hmm. me having to sit outside in the heat with no water for 20 minutes, like this isn't, we're not thinking about safety or health or um we're not thinking about that critically. We're following orders and we're not adjusting based off of the situation. And that's, that goes back to like education, empowering people to have consciences and, and being able to like think situationally, Mm -hmm. like think situation by situation, as opposed to that one size fits all rules that we have now for healthcare and other aspects. So that's why, that example was like so frustrating to me was because we talk about, we've talked about a lot of healthcare industry downfalls on the show. We, we talked about a lot in the vaccine passport episode that we did. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think in upcoming episodes as as much as, I mean, that's a topic I would say is really big for us. So I think a big aspect of overall healthcare and even just our knowledge on it, I think that that might be one of the biggest realms that we have been taught to regurgitate Mm -hmm. over anything else, Mm -hmm. even from just a young age of like, you wash your hands or you, you don't cough, Mm -hmm. you cover your mouth or there are certain cues that we've been taught for so, so long for any antibiotics, Um, fluoride on the teeth, which goes into your gut and is actually really bad for your gut health, which you get at the dentist, the food pyramid. Remember the food, the food pyramid. Remember yeah. the food pyramid? Remember you would go in, you get your lunch. I remember I was given like, cho- I had to like, they How wouldn't... many classrooms had that one? Everyone knows this <laughs> diagram. It's in every classroom. Uh-huh. It's like a graphic design. One of the first like graphics that I ever saw. Yeah. It was like a laminated poster of the food pyramid everywhere you go in With grade With carbs four. at the bottom. You're supposed to have the, mo- the most... <laughs> the mother- <laughs> It's just like a bread loaf and then like a, a wheat and then it's like <laughs> potatoes. <laughs> Literally the worst and then things potatoes, for you. And then, then there's finally some vegetables and fruit at the top. And then at the very top they have like protein. Protein, I think. <laughs> I, we have to, I have to pull it up to. But I know that like grains was at the bottom and like dairy was at the bottom. Like the things that are probably not the best for no, you. Grain. Okay. For sure, anything dairy and a lot of like 
enriched flours, whatever, all of these are the most like inflammatory foods for the body. <laughs> it's not good. That should not be at the bottom. That well, should be completely flipped and we should have more protein, fiber, rich <laughs> foods at the vo- at the bottom. That is how it should be. Yeah. I mean, not- I'm not a dietitian, but I could tell you that if the majority of your food is carbs, <laughs> it's probably not going to vote well. And that's probably why... America has an obesity problem that's funded by our food industry and then is countered by our medical industry where everyone's in these medical loops where they have like all these diseases that are caused by the stuff that they put into their bodies because they weren't educated. I also think a lot of people forget that we've, we've used the word carbs as sort of like a blanket term, which I mean, carbs like that, bread basically translate in it's it turns into sugar when Mm -hmm. you digest it Mm -hmm. and so healthy carbs which are called complex carbs that should be its own separate category Mm -hmm. but we've grouped that with these sugar carbs Mm -hmm. so that they're all considered carbs and people forget that it literally digests as sugar yeah which is horrible for you well in large amounts my cafeteria it had the food pyramid and then it had the got milk situation next to it so then they were advertising that we all drink like all this milk. <laughs> no, I know. Okay. What was that? <laughs> you got to dr- you got to drink milk to to get taller. I was told that my whole life cuz I'm good short. Bumps. <laughs> like I've you know how many times I got it from like teachers too that I needed to get on like a growth hormone cuz I was so short. Really? It was so disturbing. I don't think I've ever really confessed this to anyone, but I got it so much as a kid. You're hearing it here. And here it, honestly, first, I kind of have a little PTSD from it because I always knew in my head, I'm like, I'm fine. I'm healthy. Like I'm normal. People are short, whatever. And I just got it. I got told, drink more milk, Jordan, do this or that. And I'm like, what? There's Show me the evidence that if I drink a bunch of milk, that that's going to make me five inches taller. I want to know the network, uh, the net worth of these like milk lobbyists that went to the schools, because I mean, I remember like we would have strawberry chocolate and regular milk and you had to pick one milk like you weren't allowed to just like be like okay wait depending on the day or did you have like a plan where you had to say no i want chocolate no it was all in like a bucket it was like (laughs) okay like in cartons okay okay so you would pick up you'd start in the lunch line you pick what of those three milks you would want and you put it onto your tray Mm -hmm. and then like they would give you all the food and stuff and our principal that we had up until third grade would do this thing where she would sit no not sit she would stand she was this like nun um <laughs> but great like, visual so she was a, just like a chubby, standing nun so she was this like chubby nun but she didn't have a habit because she was one of those like progressive nuns so we have this like she has, chubby did old she have prog- a segue what no segue? she didn't have a segue okay. but we had another one that had a segue so she would sit at the door that would like lead to the playground for recess mm-hmm. and you'd have to bring up your tray to her and she would check and if you didn't eat enough of the food or drink the milk, she would send you back. I'm not even kidding you. And so, like, I didn't like French fries as a kid. I didn't like a lot of unhealthy. This is going to sound so. Okay. I didn't like a, a lot saint. of unhealthy <laughs> foods as a kid. Like, I didn't like That's hot good. dogs. I didn't like French fries. I didn't like chips. I hated soda. I couldn't. I didn't like soda. soda. But I did like, like, cookies and sweets and that sort of thing. Um, so I would, like, not eat those types of things on my lunch tray plus I think girls like don't need as much food as guys and Mm. she would like I would get sent back to like eat french fries because I wasn't eating enough but it's like french fries aren't healthy like it made no sense 
Yeah, that makes no sense. Are they just trying to like not waste food or? It just goes back to this. Like it does regurgitating rules because they have been so standardized and so habitual that it's like, we just got to keep doing it. Yeah. And no one ever takes a step back and is like, hold on. Is this dehumanizing? Is this unhealthy for our Mm -hmm. students? Is this unhealthy for us? Could we be doing this better? I think that that exercise needs to be occurring constantly Mm -hmm. in everyone's minds Mm -hmm. as you're going throughout daily life I feel like okay so the last month I've been I came back home and I've been like reorganizing my life and like certain systems Mm -hmm. even sometimes with how you have your folders or how you do notes Mm -hmm. or how you do Mm -hmm. tasks Mm -hmm. I think it's good every now and then to go okay hold on how can I make this better how can I make this more efficient really break down (laughs) was this the best way that I could be doing this yeah that has to happen. I mean, that's just a really small analogy that really yeah. doesn't even mean anything. Mm-hmm. I just thought of it. But no, it's good. I think that it's something so basic that can literally apply to every aspect of life. Yeah. No, I agree. And something that I want to talk about, too, that I think would combat a lot of these issues that we're having in the education system is classical education. And this is something. So um, my cousins actually go to like a classical education school like here Mm -hmm. in Phoenix and it's a charter school. So that means that like you're getting private school education, but you don't have to pay and it's Mm -hmm. a lottery system. So you like apply and whoever's like picked out gets to go. I love that. So um, they go to a school here and it's a great hearts a great book school. So basically like they learn from the original text and they follow that structure of like that article that I sent you. And I think that it would be really cool if a lot more schools kind of took on this model, this model and worked away from the common core, because I think, um, you know, understanding like historical context and understanding like the root of where information has come from is really a valuable like skill set and will be applicable to whatever you decide to do Mm -hmm. as an adult, whether it's a timeless or a career after college, you know? Um, The thing that stood out to me the most in that article was it included that children younger than fifth grade mm -hmm. have a mental predisposition during those early years to naturally ask more why questions, Mm -hmm. which is why kids are so inquisitive. Like if you're reading a book or they're like, what's this or what's that? Like they're more, they more naturally ask those why Mm -hmm. questions. But then at fifth grade and above, the brain starts to naturally be more factual. Like, yeah. So what it it said was the early years of schools of school is spent absorbing facts, systematically laying out the foundations for advanced study. Then in middle school or middle grades, students, learn to think through arguments and start asking those why questions. Then in high school, they learn to express themselves and share their arguments. Mm -hmm. So like, I guess the younger, when you're really young, learning like the facts and kind of the root of like grammar and that sort of thing is like the best time to learn that. Like even Mm -hmm. to learn a second language, it's always best to do that. Yeah. Because your neurons are just like, yeah, all of, yeah. Yeah. So flexible. And then it's like figuring out those why questions and thinking through like arguments. And then it's learning how to express applying those arguments. Yeah. So it's like foundation, why express, like it's Mm -hmm. kind of following that like flow that makes sense you know? yeah no it's really makes cool. a lot of sense so um, when you say classical education how would you define is it really just this breakdown emphasizing those yeah steps? so basically like for example um like astronomy for example like it isn't just studied in isolation so it's learned um alongside 
the history of scientific discovery, which leads into like the church relationship with study and like all the intricacies that comes with that. So it's basically like you take a topic um, like algebra or whatever, and you're not learning it in isolation. You're learning how it connects with other aspects of the world. So like with the astrology stuff, you're looking at, okay, how does that fit in with science, but also history, but also religion or like okay. traditional religions because like there was a lot of things with like the Catholic church and the stars and all that stuff. So you're connecting all the dots so that when you see something in the modern world, you have historical reference of that same, you're, mm-hmm. you're recognizing patterns and you're also recognizing how to link ideas together to form like mm-hmm. ideas and conclusions. And I think especially mm-hmm. with the COVID stuff, because basically like our education teaches us to think in isolation. We're really bad right now, at like connecting all of the dots, even if they're really obvious about mm. what's been happening with all the COVID stuff, you know? Yeah. I would assume since um, elementary schools and at least like the public school system is still keeping kids masked and still keeping kids like socially distanced while they're at school. Mm -hmm. I would assume they're not doing as much like group work. Mm -hmm. Correct. Probably. That's something that I had when I was in middle school and elementary school. And it was huge because I felt like any like group project that I had was a like so much more fun. Mm -hmm. Anything that wasn't testable, I pretty much enjoyed because (laughs) I, I was so anti-test for some reason. I didn't like it. Um, but yeah, I think that that like collaboration too, where you're like having to balance the social aspect of working with your team and pulling your weight and, and analyzing everyone else's input, but also, um, sort of having to critically think because most group projects required a project prompt that, um, was more critically thinking based as opposed to just copy this or memorize this Mm -hmm. or repeat this. It wasn't really like that for those types of assignments. Yeah. No, I think that that, I think, yeah, a combination of like group work, doing things that aren't just like memorizing things for tests, having historical context, being able to have those references. um, And also just kind of like having, I don't know, being excited about learning because I think that if we just teach, if we just treat education like this thing that we have to do, we have to learn this stuff and there's no excitement or personal connection, then when you become an adult, you don't have to learn anymore. You can just do your job, watch TV, chill out, go on social media. Like you don't, that's why I feel like a lot of my friends don't understand what's going on in the world because you have to be curious to research what's happening, you know, and actually like uncover what is going on. You have to care in a way you, you, and people normally only care about things when they apply to them. Mm -hmm. And so when you think that you're, that something doesn't apply to you or that some bad policy that you don't necessarily believe in doesn't apply to you, then you're not going to even care about investigating it. Do you think that we've had it for so, go ahead, sorry. Do you think we've had it good for so long here that we can't imagine like a policy Oh, definitely affecting us, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, thankfully my parents, I think I, I got the skepticism and hopefully the critical, critical thinking, like natural ability from them. So Mm -hmm. they, they think very similar to, I'd say how you and I do, but I have faced a lot of adults, especially even the summer when I was traveling who say a political conversation gets brought up or a topic that's going on in current events right now it's like there are so many adults that just are naturally like, 
they, they just kind of shove it off or the, it's like they can't wrap their heads around it. They're like, this isn't America. This isn't the America that I know. This isn't the America that I believe in. And it's so hard for them to actually wrap their head around it because they've never actually experienced it in a, in a very personal, mm-hmm. in-person way. Mm-hmm. So now when they are, like COVID is probably like the first thing that a lot of adults and especially Gen X, millennials have faced. So um, yeah, COVID's like pretty much the the groundbreaking thing for our gen. And thankfully I'm, I'm, you know what? I'm grateful in a way that we had it in early twenties while our brains are still malleable. Like our brains aren't even fully developed until we're 26 years old. So I'm grateful that we're young and going through this because it has taught me so much. And I'm glad that I didn't get to 60 years old and having our first like really big wave of mm. inconvenience and in, in education that stuff can happen even in first world America when you have everything that you think you have at your disposal. So I feel like if we would have made it to that age, we would have had a, a maybe more of a probability of being like, I don't know, just sort of in denial. Yeah. I think that's a really good point. I think that's why like the baby boomer generation, which has been kind of, they control the the most wealth in the country. Mm -hmm. Um, They've lived during the most prosperous time because they lived after world war two. They weren't, uh, participants in it, but they uh, benefited from the economic boom that followed that. And mm. then they benefited from American expansion and just kind of us becoming uh, the superpower of the world and, and no one really messing with us. Yep. Um, whether or not you agree with that, that's that's for a different conversation. But I think that when I've interacted with uh, grandparents or just people of that age, I've been a little bit frustrated because they don't, they get it. Some of them do, but some of them are, like you said, in denial or think that this will just like all blow over. over, And like, I have to sit them down and like, really, like, I really want that generation to understand how critical not complying with any of this COVID stuff is because Mm -hmm. it will dictate what our generation goes through and what all the other future generations go through. Our kids. And our kids. Yes. And everyone has to get on board with like critically thinking through this and stepping up and banding together because this is serious. Like we don't want to be Australia. We don't want to be New Zealand. Like, no. No. I think we've mentioned this before on on other episodes, but we'll repeat it again. But you have to find that balance between – thinking across all different time frames, looking into the past, analyzing the now, mm-hmm. and predicting the future. And you have to find that balance of whatever the decision is or whatever the ideology that you're dissecting. Like really look at it from all of those time frames because what we decide now affects the future. And it is important to look in the past to sort of as a gauge and a, a moral compass in a way comparing ourselves to mistakes we've made in the past and whatever. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think that we can't be in this in denial of, oh, okay, this is happening now, but, just, but one day we'll just wake up and it's gone. Mm-hmm. Things have, steps have to be taken and proper, proper steps have to be taken in order to pr- improve situations now. And that doesn't just happen overnight. That happens through hard work. It happens through discipline. It happens through because of people who want to make things actually be enacted it's not just oh we listen to the news and that's the only obligation we have yeah we have to be speaking on these issues we have to be talking about it. this is literally why we do this because even just for repetition like repetition is a huge 
factor when it comes to a lot of these complex ideas because it, I mean, we're talking about really hefty, like multidimensional things that have to be dissected in a million different ways. Yeah, for sure. And I think that there's been a lot of um, examples like in current events right now, and, we, and we've touched on some of them, but where we have, we haven't been critically thinking, we haven't been going through like past events to analyze future events and mm-hmm. kind of understand the outcomes. And I mean, there's been a lot of stuff between the Afghanistan stuff and the COVID stuff. Like there's just been so many examples right now. Like even just, I mean, I don't know. Did you want to talk about the Afghanistan thing and how that whole thing went down? Yeah. Um, I guess we could first say that, well, shout out to, I mean, it's been, it's still ongoing right now. I mean, it's still a crisis that is not going to be over anytime soon. There's still Americans But our, there, our yeah. prayers go out to the families who lost um, family members, Marines who passed away, and um, there were 13. I mean, that's a big number, and it was tragic hearing that. I It was a focal point that I re- rarely saw on certain social media sites like Twitter, People that I follow on Twitter were, were posting um, their kind words and, and memorial sort of messaging around it. But I saw nothing about it on Instagram, saw nothing about it really on Facebook. Um, it wasn't anywhere close to being as blown up as, it, as say, the rioting was last year, the protests last year, or some other deaths of certain individuals. That Or even the heartbeat bill. I feel like there was more... Um, posts about that in Texas, even from people that like don't live in Texas, then the yeah, Afghanistan- aren't affected by that bill whatsoever. Then, then the Afghanistan thing, where that affects, like, like that affects kind of all of America, and does, there's our, like Americans that are stuck there, and our mil- people that die. Our military is a big like sort of global representation of us because our military goes to a lot of these countries and they are supposed to act in in ways that like represent our morals and our ethics and mm-hmm. our marines that we had over in Afghanistan that were we I mean we saw these shots of them um giving water to to families that were sitting there at the airport in the heat for long hours of the day like we they they showed those right mm-hmm. they showed all those mm-hmm. images but then it's like when it finally when we are supposed to be covering these bombings that happened we don't, we don't get that. They, those dead Marines don't get that glorification. Yeah. It, it doesn't make sense to me. Yeah. And, and something that was f- interesting about that was that I agree. Like we should have been out of, Af- we should have never been in Afghanistan to begin with. Like I, I agree. Totally do not like the military industrial complex. Like that's a whole nother episode, but the reality is we were there. We had to get out of there. We had already negotiated a deal back with Trump in February with the Taliban. Mm-hmm. Um, and we had all summer to get them, get them out. And I don't understand. I mean, I'm not a military person. I don't know. I'm sure it's a lot more complicated than we, ex- than we expected. It's not easy getting out of a country like that. I totally understand. But it just showed how the whole thing was a lie and the reason why I want to bring this up is because a lot of us bought into it. Like when 9-11 happened, that was super traumatic for the country. That was an attack like on our shores and we reacted swiftly and we went into all these countries, whether that was always kind of the goal or the predetermined goal. or temporary. I don't know, but it was wrong. We shouldn't have done that. We shouldn't have had the Patriot Act. And 
our, we were telling the Americans that the reason we were there was we were training the Afghanistan army to be able to fight their own battle there and that we had everything under control this whole time and that, that there wasn't a terrorist issue. And we leave within less than 24 hours and the country's in flames at the airport. So it just shows that like we never, we weren't questioning the military for 20 years. We were not questioning them. We weren't questioning why they were there. I mean, some people were, but a lot of journalists. Just totally forgotten. It was just like, oh yeah, it was we're just, like, just this there. Is just, we're just here and we're going to stay here indefinitely. And what they were even doing wasn't, I don't even know what we were doing. Like, why were we paying? Like, their government, their army couldn't even defend themselves against the Taliban. So we no, obviously collapsed in less than twenty four hours. So we spent twenty years and whoa, whoa, whoa. are we that billion? bad at training? Like, like our our repertoire is horrible now. <laughs> well, yeah, it's like that's the lie. Like, we spent billions of dollars over there for a failed army that couldn't defend themselves within twenty four hours, and we didn't question that for twenty years. And so I just think that exposes how easily manipulated we that can be. That goes back to the know? regurgitating yeah. and synthesizing thing too. Yes. It was just like, oh, all right, we're here, well, but it's on the back burner and like, we'll keep it in our brains, but we're not, not, not going to actually revisit it and try to coordinate another strategy of getting them out, um, just sort of fixing the entire situation. Yeah. That, that I, I do, I agree that we needed to get them out, but it didn't have to be this summer. It didn't even have to be by the end of the year. It needed to be however long it would it should have taken in order to do it properly. Well, I don't know. I don't know how long that I don't would have know been, exactly but, because we had negotiated. I don't know all the specifics, but we had negotiated a deal that we'd get them out by a certain date. But the oh, okay. problem was is that then I don't I need to look back at all the specifics, but then that was what Trump negotiated and then Biden came in and did it differently and waited till the last minute to pull everyone out mm-hmm. so that was the issue was that we waited till the last minute okay then say you know the, what I mean? uh, the say the august 31st date was the literal last date in their agreement in the original agreement which i then don't yes, know what you're the right exact we would have had was, the entire but, year so far to do it but instead yeah. we've been focused way more on other issues that i don't know yeah i mean we left 85 billion dollars worth of weaponry and equipment and which is just like why aren't people <laughs> upset about that like i 85 billion dollars what's weird okay this i'm is, sorry that's insane this is what's weird okay so let's say you're on the left you're supposed traditionally speaking you're supposed to be against um military spending that's like a left-leaning position and you you're supposed to think okay I'm against military spending. I want to cut that part of the budget and I want to reallocate those funds to something like universal health care or um, universal basic income or something, some sort of like school system, school system, something like that. And I, I used to be like, oh, we're America. We need to have the strongest military, all this. Yeah, yeah, stuff. And I've changed my opinion on that. And I've come to like, okay, we spend way too much on the military. We're in all these countries. We don't need to be doing this. Like, just bring everybody home. Let's just bring everyone be home. At, we're, we can't just, even get peace here. Let's like, get that first. Let's just be in. And then talk about yeah. sending people everywhere Yeah, else. let's stop being an empire. So I actually adapted a left-lean position. Um, but what's weird is that all my friends that claim that they're on the left, and they aren't really. They've just prescribed to the mainstream narrative and don't question it. But you would think that if they were truly on the left – they would call out the $85 billion that we left in military equipment there and say, wow, 
this money could have been used in so many different to ways give people better health care. This money could have been used to give people better education. This whatever their left leaning yeah. government spending thing that they would rather that money be re- that, that why didn't I see outrage over that from the left That's or a good people way to think that of it. follow the mainstream? Why? Because they actually aren't on the left. They are brainwashed and they're following the mainstream narrative and they're following whatever the the the, the main journalists are throwing at them and they're focusing on things like horse dewormer and they're not focusing on that. And they mm. don't really care because at the end of the day, they weren't taught to ha- have their formed conscience to really inform like what issues are important to them and that mm. they should be fighting for and they should be calling yeah. out. But instead they're just reposting all the stuff that the government wants you to be focused on. Mm-hmm. And that's the issue is that these like people, aligning with pop culture too. Yeah. It, it, you're a lot, you think that you're being countercultural, but you're just playing it safe. And you want to call out the issues when you've give you've, you've been given the, the go ahead, the green go mm-hmm. that you can speak on this, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, what's so frustrating about all this is that it wasn't this like right or left issue. It was a, an American issue. And there was a lot of commentary that could have been said and dissected and not that many people participated in dissecting. Yeah. And something that really frustrated me in correlation to the entire Afghanistan situation is like, unfortunately we had a couple hurricanes that sort of paved in right after. And then because we've had all these Delta Mu Lambda Chi freaking variants all going on. Yeah, exactly. We're going to go get through the entire Greek alphabet at this point all these variants I don't even know how they can decipher between them but whatever so all of this other news had had come right after the Afghanistan thing and then when when say Biden does a press conference especially with the Hurricane Ida situation he just was like I'm here to talk about Hurricane Ida like we're done with that like uh, Afghanistan that was a last week issue like that that news that news cycle's over with now we're on to the next thing and, and, and it's like, are people not picking up on that? Mm-hmm. You can't subvert by focusing on other issues. And I would, I would say, okay, we have hurricanes every summer. We know this August and especially like the um, California Baja, that Gulf of Mexico well, area. We are always having hurricanes. But this is a really, this, this, which it was a big one. It was a big one. It needed, but attention. that doesn't mean that. $85 billion of our country's materials yeah. that has just been handed to extremist terrorists in Afghanistan isn't a big issue as we're on the eve of the 20th anniversary of 9-11 this week and there are so many other things going on. It's just like, stop doing that. I yeah, I, I don't think, like the way that, you, yeah. that he said that. Yeah, I think that he could have, he has a lot to be addressing right now and the fact that he's gonna just pick and choose the topics that he's focusing on even if there are two issues that are of equal importance um and also the thing about the afghanistan yes the hurricane's important but it's nature cause not um administration cause like it's Mm -hmm. not human cause so like that's also a differentiator and also i mean let's talk about colin maharis who's been campaigning for newsom well, like the country is dealing with all these other <laughs> issues and just completely, I don't know. Just, I think that she's just been kind of on, on her own little path. I don't know who's corner. been coordinating her agenda, but yeah, she's been all over the place and kind of, she's never been in a hot 
hot button place when she's needed to be. Yeah. Like she's always somewhere else. Yeah. I don't know how they're doing it, but yeah, yeah. that's a good, I like that you at least brought it up and addressed it because. Yeah. But another thing though, is the, that people, I was surprised, like people took, I mean, I don't know if surprise is the right word at this point, but I was, I was intrigued by how much media coverage this got was the horse dewormer hoax that mm-hmm. was going on. Um, I, I want to break down really quickly just what ivermectin is for people that aren't aware. I think we've talked about this on the podcast, but yep. there are two kinds of ivermectin. There's one for animals and there's one for people. Um, the one for people is FDA approved. It's treated for parasites. Mm-hmm. Um, and it the can, chemist won the Nobel Prize, correct? Yeah, in, in 2015. So the chemist won the Nobel Peace Prize. Um, it's been in use since 1985. It's about, or 80, 81, excuse me. It's about as safe as aspirin or Tylenol. Um, and it's been historically referred to as the wonder drug by the scientific community. Um, basically, now the issue is that people are saying, okay, well, that's all great, but it's not a, like approved for COVID by the FDA, which is mm-hmm. true, but um, it doesn't mean that it can't be used for COVID. It doesn't mean that there isn't anecdotal evidence. It doesn't mean that there hasn't been smaller studies mm-hmm. in other countries. And again, like this goes back to like questioning and looking to the why and not just taking like what the experts say on face value because ivermectin is a gen- generic drug. So there's no money to be made from it. Also, if it gets proven, if it gets accepted by like the FDA that it is a drug that can be treated for COVID, um, basically what happens is all the vaccines that we've approved for emergency use become illegal mm-hmm. because the only reason they were approved for emergency use is because um, they there's no other treatment available. But if you can say that ivermectin is a treatment for COVID, then those improvements... They cancel each other out. They cancel each other out, essentially. And the issue is is that we've signed a blank check with um, the pharmaceutical company Pfizer. Sorry, I just started the clip. (laughs) Yeah, we we signed a blank check with the pharmaceutical company Pfizer, and I think about 100 countries around the world have signed this, where basically we're like, okay, we'll keep paying you whatever you need, so... It's different for every country. I think Israel's paying $69 a dose. I think we paid around like 18 or $19 a dose for Pfizer. So wow. it's like really inconsistent, all these mm. countries. Poor countries have to um, have their assets, li- like li- like literally like buildings and different assets lied out in the contract as collateral. Mm. Um, all the countries take all the liability, which means – no one can sue Pfizer. And that's why the FDA said that they approved Pfizer. But what they did is they approved a second version of the Pfizer drug that has the same chemical com like the same chemical composition. Um, composition as the emergency use one. But the emergency use one is the one they're still distributing. So people hmm. think that they're getting the FDA approved one, but they're really getting the, the emergency one that was with that first deal that exactly yeah so if you have a reaction to that and you want to sue pfizer and you think it's fda approved so you you can sue you pfizer, have no ground you have no grounds 
And that's because the government's stuck yeah. in this it's contract so slimy. with Pfizer. Like, yeah. because they, they did this contract deal with Pfizer where they wrote them a blank check. We just sold ourselves out. We just sold ourselves out to a pharmaceutical company. So we're yeah. now owned by Pfizer in terms of what our COVID policy is. So when Biden comes Not on- Not only financially and resource-wise, but biologically too. Yeah, good point. So yeah, so what's your take then when, fi- when, when, when Biden comes on yesterday- gives Mm -hmm. a speech Mm -hmm. like is that authentic no that was one of the most uncomfortable speeches i've ever listened to him give it was terrifying i'm not i'm not even gonna like censor myself on that i i felt like it was so it was inappropriate in a lot of different ways and i think that anyone who's seen the clips (laughs) can could understand um but in terms of him saying that yeah there's no truth in terms of that he basically lied yeah, I mean he's. I mean, I mean like, he didn't give anybody that breakdown of what this deal and cl- what our relationship with Pfizer is, or, or what these FDA approved vaccines are. That we're not getting them yet. We don't have them yet. No one that's getting this vaccine right now, they're getting the emergency shots. There's no explanation on that. No, and that's what they want because they want you to be confused that you're like. There's people that are waiting like for that FDA approval. Well, because they don't think people are going to do their homework. Yeah. I feel like a lot of public officials, a lot of even doctors, healthcare officials are not inferring that people do their homework. Mm-hmm. And honestly, they're probably right. I don't think a lot of people do their homework. No. And so <laughs> maybe their, their reasoning as to why they don't explain further is because they don't think people will when actually um, they should encourage people to do their homework because that's always a good um well, means to have like another yeah. second guess and another confirmation of whatever they're being. Do you think it's a problem we've become so specialized so that we take information on face value from quote unquote experts and we don't question it and we don't. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We have this idea of authorities in our brains as like sort of gods in a way that they know all because they have whatever degree or whatever PhD from whatever university and well, that rhymed. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> um, but uh, we have to kind of get that complex little out of our heads in a way. I think always respecting all adults, respect respecting authorities in some sense. But I believe that if they have proven to have lied about something, or if they have proven to have something in, be incorrect that mm-hmm. they spoke on and didn't back themselves up or didn't apologize or didn't clear the air after they were caught, that they've lost their credibility. I don't think that we should be continuing to give credibility to some of these authority figures who have proven to not be credible or have proven to be liars, like routine liars. And I like Fauci, for example, he should not have any credibility at this point. He shouldn't be in his position right now because let alone the highest paid government official that we have in America at the moment. He, which is also, an interesting question i I would love to know why that is but um (laughs) (laughs) um but what's what's interesting about him and like the whole gain of function thing is that like i don't like we're we're sitting here focusing on vaccinated unvaccinated who's spreading what when the the it doesn't matter because the vaccine doesn't prevent transmissibility you know when 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 trump's in office it's his fault for spreading the virus if biden's in office it's his fault for like his policies are spreading the virus we're focusing on all this like right left stuff when really it's like why don't we like get to the bottom of why we have this 
virus in the first place, especially with the gain of function stuff that got leaked Mm. um, with understanding that we were funding the lab in Wuhan that was doing gain-of-function research, which is extremely dangerous. Prior to the virus unleashing. unleashing. And, like, why don't we uncover that story and put a bunch of money into figuring that whole situation so that that doesn't happen again? I think that would provide some clarity in a sense, or maybe if it's not 100% verifiable quite yet, at least it raises more why questions. I don't see us having a societal inclination towards asking why questions all the time. We're kind of just, or maybe we have a a one phase of asking why questions. And then once we have established a routine, then we kind of just get stuck in it for a while. Like how I feel like we're in this, like right now we are almost a year and a half Mm -hmm. in a limbo period where we're not fully back to the way it was before, but we're not as locked down or as quarantine as we were, say, in April or March or last, of last year. But we're now so used to it. Like, this is the norm. But I don't see a lot of people going back to that foundation of, okay, why are we in this? Mm-hmm. Why, why is this mm-hmm. limbo still here? Mm-hmm. Why is this laying around? Um, so I really want – I encourage people to do that or at least encourage your friends to do it. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I feel like – this is why propaganda right now is so easy. Like we think about propaganda as like, oh, we're smarter than that. Like that was a thing of the past. That was what Nazi Germany did. That's what Soviet Russia did. And we're smarter than that. And we can, we have our phones and we have Google. So we can look oh my up gosh, yes. and fact check for ourselves. I'm glad you brought this up. But like I wanted to talk about, you were, you were saying the FUD thing. And I think that mm-hmm. ties into this and yep. just... I don't know, are us thinking that the answers are going to be the first thing on Google. Like, no, you, yeah. it's not that easy anymore. Yeah. I don't know where I came across this FUD acronym, um, but it was like someone said it in a sentence, and I think that I Googled it. And, I mean, as we know from Google, you have to scroll down all the way to the bottom. Sometimes you can't or just take duck, the – duck, yeah, <laughs> Or go duck, 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 go. Or duck, 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 go. Um, another great search engine, but I researched FUD and it's an acronym for fear, uncertainty, and doubt. And basically it's a propaganda tactic. It's a whole strategy of sort of whatever it is that you're trying to promote or direct people's attention to. It's doing it through using fear tactics and doubt tactics and, and to put people in uncomfortable situations so that you can get them to do what you want them to do or buy a product that you want them to buy. Mm-hmm. And I actually see this a lot with um, like a lot of med- uh, a lot of medication commercials where they try to say, oh, I can't, I'm, I'm an older person. I can't play with my grandkids or I can't go to trick or treating with my grandkids or some, I don't know, something like that, <sighs> which isn't, uh, an, uh, like an overt fear um, topic to instill, but it's something that sort of makes you feel relatable as in, oh, that makes me uncomfortable. I don't want that. And that's a very small example. I mean, this could obviously be blown up into a large scale in a lot mm-hmm. of different ways. But I think with the lockdowns and with being called a grandma killer or some of these things, they're utilizing FUD tactics to make us be fearful of having certain titles or being canceled or or being ostracized from society because we did something wrong or morally, ethically, biologically, mm-hmm. health-wise wrong, mm-hmm. when actually I don't think it's a case-by-case scenario. Well, it yeah, totally and, depends. And even like people re reusing the word, oh, you're an anti- 
like anti-vaxxer, it's like, okay, let's, let's break down that wor- word. What if someone's gotten all their other vaccines? Are they an anti-vaxxer? What if someone, what if, the, what if it's someone who's paralyzed from the neck down and they have a lot of health issues, they have a lot of pre-existing conditions, maybe they're born with it. Maybe they like, that is a very special case scenario. Mm-hmm. You're, you have the balls to call that person anti-vaxxer. Yeah. Or I've seen people who've gotten the vaccine and maybe they've they they had a bad reaction to it, and then they are like, I am. T- they're not even saying their opinion on it. They're just explaining what happened to them, and people will call them an anti-vaxxer. And I'm like, wait a second, but they they got the vaccine, so how are they mm-hmm. anti? And then what if you don't want the boosters because the boosters are coming? So you that- got the vaccine, but you don't want to get the, vo- boosters, the boosters. So, so then, then are you anti-booster? Are you anti-vax? Like, what? what is... Anti... Yeah. <laughs> and why aren't they just calling the booster a vaccine? Like, I don't... I've, I don't think I've ever... Have we had booster... Sh- we've had the term booster shots before. I think flu shots, people use the term booster with those sometimes. Okay. Because it's supposed to be like a yearly thing. But that's the only other context I've heard it in. Maybe there's other ones. I don't know. But I, I just feel... I just feel like that's an example. You were talking about like terms that we repeat and we don't even think about the definition. Mm -hmm. Liberal, that's another one. Like people have forgotten that liberal means you're for the maximum amount of freedom for people and that you question the government and you question. You don't trust the government. You don't trust big corporations. You don't trust big pharma. You want decentralization normally. Yeah, and you're for more like social things, um, more social issues, and we've forgotten that too. So yeah, we use the term liberal now as more of like a, a identifier for like a group of people, like almost like more of like a noun as opposed to a belief system. Well, it it, it is a noun too, I guess, but yeah, but, but we reference it or reimagine it more as the noun of what this group of people is as opposed to what the actual traditional sense of the word means, which is, well, yeah, even I think if, people even forget if that. it does mean people that think that way, the people that like, I have friends that say they're a liberal, but I'm like, you aren't a liberal. Like what you, you, you support big pharma, you support government overreach. You aren't calling out military spending. You aren't calling out bringing translators here, getting our troops home. Like all Mm -hmm. you aren't calling out that we've wasted money overseas that could have been used domestically for the Mm -hmm. the the programs you say you care about. Mm -hmm. You don't caring about getting kids back in schools. Education, something you care about. Um, All those are anti-freedom, anti. You're not for um, labor unions of people that don't want. Um, to be forced to get vaccinated. So even if you are saying, okay, that word is a noun, those people aren't following the definition of even the noun. So mm-hmm. it's just like, that's true. what's going on? Like you're that's identifying with something and you don't even, what you believe isn't even what that thing is supposed to traditionally believe in, you know? Yeah. They more fall alongside the pop culture yeah pop culture mainstream like your your opinion isn't maybe there should be a whole political party for that the regurgitators yeah people who just just sort of look to that guide and then morph to it exactly and it's never questioning the guide it's never analyzing the guide it's never breaking things down to the foundation it's just okay 
Yeah. Yeah. That's me. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good, that's a good point. I know. I, 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 I know everyone's different. Everyone's brains are wired differently, but I do think that it's kind of peculiar how many people are following this pattern of the, of the mass regurgitation mm-hmm. as opposed to trying to figure out how to synthesize in a healthy way. Or maybe there's a balance between the two. I mean, I regurgitate, regurgitate sometimes, especially when I read articles or even when we do this podcast. Like, I do think there's a healthy amount of regurgitation that goes into certain thoughts that we've had while mm-hmm. we're thinking of how to prepare for this topic or thinking about how to... Um, remember what we read in a book or like, there are healthy regurgitating mechanisms that do happen that are um, caused by our memory retrieval and then mm-hmm. we articulate it and we're able to discuss it and whatever. But when it's the regurgitation at the level of big ideas and your life and our lifestyle and our overall society's health, <laughs> not just biologically, but like morally, mm-hmm. ethically, um, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, these are, these are things that we're not supposed to be having that um, sort of wingman regurgitation. We're supposed to be really critically thinking. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm a little concerned. But Yeah, what do you think, what would you say, um, well, so if our solution to that is synthesizing, what is that? Like, what is the definition of that, do you think? Well, I have some written down here, but I'm going to, explain off the top of my head I think that synthesizing is sort of pulling a lot of different realms of knowledge together Mm -hmm. um literally I mean we were talking about subjects in school at the beginning of this episode it can an an analogy with that can be pulling knowledge from all these different subjects from all these different Mm -hmm. industries aspects of life age ages that you learned a a lesson from something that you did wrong it's so multi-dimensional it is not just oh, I read this some there, so this must be true. Mm-hmm. Or, oh, I felt this way, so I am morally obligated to change society because I feel this way, mm-hmm. or whatever that is. It's, yeah, it's it's so much more multidimensional than, than we think. Mm-hmm. And, um, I mean, the word synthesis comes from science, which is synthesizing chemicals together, normally ones that are completely different but somehow blend. Synthesizing <laughs> is a word for blending. It's not a... Uh, uh, wrong reaction or whatever Mm -hmm. so I think that I want people to I mean the whole point of us talking about this synthesizing regurgitation topic is we don't want to just regurgitate we want to break it down so breaking down the word synthesis is that Mm -hmm. um the nature of it so yeah we should probably said that at the beginning of this but no I (laughs) I think that it's good that we we went through this like we went through lessons with us yeah we went through what the current state is what the issues are and then hopefully like the solution to it I think one thing is if you if you are someone that has kids um and you don't have access to doing like the more classical uh education style because there Mm -hmm. aren't a ton of schools that do that still um I would encourage people to if they have free time with their kids pull out some of these classic textbooks um Mm -hmm. like like the Iliad and Greek mythology and history and just kind of Mm. give them that education um, and just that knowledge base and also just tell them like, hey, you don't have to listen. It's not like you don't have to be, you should always behave in school. But like if a teacher says something that you disagree with, like come talk to us about it and like let's hear your perspective on it and we Mm. can talk through like why 
their position might be a little bit off and why you might actually yeah, have don't just some, get shut down. Yeah, don't just get shut down. And if your kid is getting shut down at school, like make sure that they can come to you and and be open to that. And if you're if you're someone that doesn't have kids and is maybe more our age, um, I don't know, I would recommend that you just continue to be a skeptic and question mm-hmm. things. Um, yeah. Use DuckDuckGo, uh, follow independent journalists on social media, read their Substack stuff, and just ask questions because... If you are you know, a parent or aspire to be a parent, I think that also incorporating some amount of hands-on visceral learning would be important too, whether it be like having a tangible book to read and not just off the screen since kids, I think, I mean, people in general are always going to have screen exposure in a high amounts going forward. Um, but also out in nature, also in groups. Also, even when I was younger, my dad and I built like scale models and we would like, you can, you see a product. It's Mm. very, I think the kids like that. And, um, it makes it more sensory Mm -hmm. because we can see, we can touch, we can feel, um, and that has been proven a million times that um, there are more neurons and more like memory um, areas of the brain that get activated when you have more sensory mm-hmm. mechanisms mm-hmm. Um, being involved. So mm-hmm. I think that that would also help too. For sure. So it's not just like sitting there, like staring at your teacher, <laughs> um, like listening to them, like speak at you. Question the food pyramid. If that's still around. <laughs> yes, yes. Well, I don't know. I haven't been to a, like a young school or elementary middle school in so long. I, I went back to Xavier in, when I was still in college, but I haven't been there in a really long time either. What did you do at Xavier? I think I just went to go get like a recommendation letter for, or something like that. Or I picked up my brother when he was in high school, but I haven't been on like a campus in a, in a really long time. Not a, not a college campus at least. I would love to one day help. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I think we this has been a little long, so I want to end on one quote from Socrates <laughs> that we both found. Um, but this is very short and I think encapsulates a lot of what we talked about mm-hmm. today. And it's ancient. This is this is pure history right here. Socrates always said this in so many writings, I know that I know nothing. And I think that mm-hmm. that is huge because even if we think, I figured out the system, I figured out the best way to do this. Don't just keep it at that because how long would it be stuck there? How about revisit it sometimes? Go, okay, I could do this better. This could be better. Or on a grand scale, even our government could be doing that. What I like about that I know that I know nothing. Like it's humbling. You get grounded. You start to see an external view of what it is that you did in the past. Mm -hmm. And I think that it can lay the groundwork for having it be better and whatever that means is well said yeah I love that it humbles you and it makes you feel like we're all we're all just idiots at the end of the day (laughs) no I'm serious just baffling what I mean what I mean is that we think that we are the center of the universe we think that the world revolves around us so entitled and it doesn't and we all are we all are victims of that mindset popping up in our head no matter how um self-aware we are we, mm-hmm. we, we do get into that loop and i love that quote because it is kind of this it's you're humbling yourself and you're surrendering yourself to to almost like a yeah a higher being or the universe or whatever that entity is for you and i think that that is good because we can't play 
God or we can't play God. You know, we're, we're not God. We're not. <laughs> and I also think there's a, a satirical element to that quote too. Like I know that I know nothing. Like it yeah. is kind of like sarcastic in a way. Mm-hmm. But when you say I know nothing, I mean we all know a lot. We're human beings. Like mm-hmm. our brains are so capable. We're so smart. We know so many things. But the problem is we almost have like so much knowledge. We have so many things we're supposed to be focused on that it's like I don't know. Maybe we just have a hard time actually visualizing our own selves and mm-hmm. and understanding what for sure we have up there so i agree yeah well thank you guys for listening um like and subscribe the video uh follow us on social media um my twitter is ella mcfarland um, yeah mine's underscore jordan craft or actually yeah mine is we'll ella have links in um, the description of this video and uh um, other links too. Check them out. Yep. More to come. We have some exciting announcements coming soon. So stay Yay. tuned for that. We have new and entries on the website. If you want to check out our written pieces or if you want to submit anything, um, that's all on the website. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And we are working on getting a, a mailing list out at some point too, which could make the community aspect a lot more um, intimate with mm-hmm. everyone and, and submitting your thoughts feedback we love feedback please comment if you thought of anything new from this any suggestions um any conversations you want to have (laughs) any food for thought that you think we would enjoy we love that too yep and um as we do with a lot of our previous like episode topics it's always recurring and i think that this although it although we never really phrased it in this way before mm-hmm. this is now the official episode that like we will for sure be revisiting this a lot we will be referencing these words a lot just very similar to like our skepticism episode that we did over a year ago now um yeah mm-hmm. so yeah so just make sure to critically think all right thanks guys <laughs>